Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lischenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host Mike Smoridge and joining us are our panel of Michael Chidester, Jess Finley, Stephen Cheney, Kendra Brown, TQ and Johanna Hopf-Gardner. This is episode 35 where we'll be looking at lines 93 to 94 on Abschneiden or slicing away. So it's been a, a few weeks of winter break since we last recorded an episode. What have we been up to? Jess? Well, let's see. Besides just holiday stuff um, with my little nuclear family, uh, this past week I did a horsemanship intensive. So it was uh, five days and like 14 hours a day, and I am still not recovered at all (laughs) from it. But it was super amazing, and I had a great time, and I learned a lot. And I only have one small breakdown, only cried a little bit, so it's pretty great. <laughs> cool. Uh, Joey, what, what have you been up to? Oh, oh not much, really. We, we just had another meter of snow, fresh snow. So now snow's up to my hip whenever I try to make, uh, take a walk. Um, so I can't really do anything outside, but oh, I had a look again into what's his name, Pasha. What's his first name? I don't know. The uh, Johan, isn't he? Johan York Pasha. Hima Polearm. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I really don't know. I'm bad with him. Anyway, he's cool because he's got pike and half pike exercises, and he's got solo plays, which is good during a pandemic. <laughs> um, so, well, they're not really solo plays. They're more like dances or presentations. But they're fun because there's nothing else to do during the lockdown. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, pike and half-pike plays on my own. But nothing much really. Cool. Uh, Kendra, what have you been up to? Uh, I am still reading about golden manuscripts, most recently mosaic gold, which is a pigment made from a brass alloy that looks kind of like gold. Um, And in the Latin Lev project, we recently looked at the very first passage, which almost translates to Zettel, but doesn't quite. And we've begun an in-depth study of Indes, because I needed more Indes in my life. (laughs) Cool. Any any insights from the in-depth study of Indes? Should, do we need to record another episode? We don't know yet. We have just begun making a giant spreadsheet of all of the German phrases with Indes and places in the Latin where Indes should be and is not. Cool. Mike, what have you been up to? Uh, I have no idea, really. I have been working on a couple of books. I'm waiting on one last detail to publish my revised 3227A translation. The Library of Congress won't get back to me, which is annoying. And I am moving ahead with the Lekuchner facsimile soon. In fact, I have a legal document that I need to sign and mail back to the Bavarian State Library for the license to use the scans. So. Also, shipping out lots of books, because the the Fiori facsimile project is still ongoing. Cool. Steve, what have you been up to? Uh, I did a little bit of sword experimenting, um, which kind of doing doing cuts from different stances, I guess, to see, kind of observe how like my body moves from each one, specifically the line, which is something having to do with the ballistic passing step. But I think it's because of it, I want to make my next project, or my next thing that I think about regarding swords, um, stances, because stance is, is one of those things that everybody seems to have an opinion about, like the correct way to do. Uh, including myself, um, but and maybe they'll give reasons like why the stance should be like that, or, mm. or maybe not. 
but the reasons themselves can be kind of nebulous and a lot of times you'll see like competitors in you know competitive fencing sports like olympic fencing and kendo who hold stances that are different from the way that they're traditionally taught so i kind of want to study that a little bit Hey, nice, nice technical problems. Where were we? I was arguing with you two, wasn't I? Um, um, yeah, so thinking medieval covers very roughly, treats medieval history very roughly as 500 to 1500-ish, um, but it discusses the limitations of those dates and what the, the idea of the beginning and end of the medieval period even means um, as one of its main topics. Uh, so it's basically, it's an interesting primer to the study of medieval history. But not to the facts of <laughs> if the difference makes sense. It's about yeah. context and historiography more than anything else. Um, and now I'm reading Archery and Crossbow Guilds in Medieval Flanders, uh, which is a fun little book about archery and crossbow guilds, their history, their social position, stuff like that. So uh, also interesting. Yeah, because they, they were normally um, a higher status than fencing guilds, weren't they? Well, I don't know if anyone's really done work on fencing guilds in Flanders, but the archery and crossbow guilds were certainly pretty high status. They got, they have lots of like, hey, we're the uh, we're the city, and we're going to give you a bunch of wine for your tournament, and we're going to pay for you all to have shiny new outfits and to have a flag to carry when you go to war. Um, so, oh, and you're also exempt from half of the laws and most of the taxes if you're a member. So, nice. seemed to be a pretty sweet gig. It's suggested that one of the reasons a lot of these guild charters have a limit on the number of members is because members were like immune to prosecution for causing actual accidental deaths. Um, mm. And you might not want to give that to too many people. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting book. Uh, next up, I have a book about coaching and the language of coaching. So hopefully we'll discuss that in an upcoming episode. Sweet. Uh, what have I been up to? No fencing because we've been on our summer break down here. Um, that's starting up immediately after this episode, and um, been doing not nearly enough prep for our summer tournament, which is in about a month's time. Going to be in right. a new house. Yeah, yeah, moving house, going to a really bad gig. Yeah. Uh, Joey, could you give us you guys the? Are yeah, if it. We're going to have another outbreak of COVID just in time. Don't worry. That's what happened to the last one attempt six months ago. But uh, I think there currently were... no plague, so tournaments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got a got a plan. Um, I think there were eighteen cases of COVID. Wait, we're just in about Sweden. to go into lockdown number four, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's let's not make this the Corona podcast. <laughs> Um, Joey, could you give us the German for lines 93 and 94, or couplets 93 and 94? Schneid ab die Härten von unten in beiden Gefährten. Vier sind der Schnitt, zween unten, zween oben mit. Thank you very much. And Steve, could you give us Harris's translation? When it's firm, slice away. From below, you slice both ways. And the slice is number four, two below, above, two more. What a rhyme. Just quickly, one, one language point. I've thrown it to Michael. The, the word uh, that we're translating as slice in the German schneid. Schneid. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty closely related to the word for edge, isn't it? It is. It's not always clear. Well, Lange Schneid. To some translators, it's not always clear which is meant when it says Schneid. Schneid is a, a form of the verb Schnitt, I believe. Well, so the verb the verb is Schneiden. So you see, like Abschneiden, that's Schneiden with Ab in it. And for nouns, usually the noun Schneid means edge. And the noun for slice is schnitt. Yeah, so, sorry, I, I, I said that backwards. I meant that schnitt is a form of the verb schneiden. Yeah. But schneid doesn't seem to usually be 
a form of the verb schneid. It just means edge. So there's a there's a strange phenomenon where Joachim Meyer has a position that he calls the long edge or the long slice. And what he mm -hmm. means is long point, but he tells you to stand in the long fill in the blank. And Jeffrey Forging tends the translator to standing in the slice, which is a strange way to name a guard that you're not actually slicing with, but I'm not sure that grammatically there's a either one makes a whole lot of sense in English. Okay, I, th I think that we should avoid calling this edging off because that sounds too rude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the the different glosses deviate here a little bit, don't they? Well, basically, you've got a couple of plays which Ringek has had about 15 weeks of episodes ago. Um, but I guess the Danzig left people can talk about the actions from an underbind uh, to get started. Yeah, so there's an interesting phenomenon that happens where Ringek takes a whole bunch of the slicing actions and treats them as action from the bind, which was part of the Fezetzin section, as opposed to grouping them under Abschneiden, which actually kind of makes more sense. But the verb slice up, or the, the line slice off the hard ones is sort of nonsense. So it can mean whatever you want it to. And in this case, the hard ones are being hard binds for Danzig and Lev. But that seems like an arbitrary assignment to me. Like the, the plays don't really belong in either place it's more than the other. The one thing which I will say for it is that the, the inserting them here goes reasonably nicely because you're not just slicing off against hard pressure, but you're doing it from below. And then the next settle couplet starts with from below or from under. So it it's a reasonable enough place to put the plays, but they could go anywhere you like, really. But I guess we should discuss the Danzig Lev versions of them. One thing we're going to see in this one and the next podcast episode is that these plays are not really strongly thematically connected. Yeah, should we quickly run through the plays? So, time for Mike to talk the gloss. Gloss, remember, drive this when someone binds strongly over your sword or falls thereon and undertake it like this. When you fence towards him by hewing underneath or with sweeps, or you lie against him in the guard, which is called Alba, if he falls with his sword on yours before you come up with your sword, then remain below on his sword and heave upward fast with the short edge. If he presses your sword downwards fast, then from below on his blade, sweep off backwards with his sword with your sword, and quickly hew in again towards the other side on the blade of his sword above into his mouth. If your overhew is displaced and it comes nearing upon him, go toward him with the displacing with the pommel over in front of his forward placed hand, and with that wrench downwards, and with the wrenching strike him there on the head with the sword. So this is a section where the, the glosses are very different. Well, they're not super different. <clears throat> um, these are these, all... Are these both hanging and schnappen, as I'd call them, in modern humorese? Well, the point is that these are, like, these are only here in this text. The first one is only here in Danzig and Lev. The second one is only here in Lev, I believe, offhand. And Ringek has the same plays, substantially, but in a completely different part of the gloss. So the actions aren't that different. It's just the organization of material that seems to have changed. All right. And cool. then the Next third day. one, likewise. Yeah, likewise, likewise another. When you fence toward him by hewing underneath from the right side or lie in the guard elder, if he then falls with his sword onto yours near the hilt before you can come up, so you cannot come up. Mm -hmm. So his point goes out towards your right side and drive up quickly with your pommel over his sword and wrench your blade from under his and strike towards his head with your long edge. Or if he falls onto your sword, so this point goes out towards your left side, then drive up quickly with your pommel over his sword and strike him towards his head with your short edge. This is called the snapping with speeding. Cool. These are the hanging and snapping plays. So, fun fact about this. Um, People in HEMA like to use the word overbind a lot. And this in I've Lev, heard you guys use it. Yeah, this in Lev 
is the only place where we actually see the word overbind. In, and I just checked actually, it's only in um, the Augsburg version. The other versions actually say Überwinden, over Überwinds against you. Do these. So, mm -hmm. interesting thing there, I thought. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a nice little subset because it gives you solutions to when you're stuck underneath their sword, right? Whether they're closer to your weak or closer to your strong is going to decide whether you're going to do this kind of obnaming from underneath is the way I think of the first play or whether you're going to do this kind of schnappen, right? But like um, if we were doing that above, we might call it an umschlag or something like that, right? Yeah, the one of the things I like about these this little section of plays, which you see here in uh, Levin Danzig, is the idea of setting up your leaving the blade by pushing very hard on their blade. Like, if someone's on top of my sword and I just try and leave, they're probably going to be able to hit me first. But if I first shove and they shove back, they don't let me push. Like, I push on their sword and they commit to to pinning me down. Then I have a moment to leave while they're committed to that downwards movement. Um, to that downwards pressure. Um, and that's a really useful tactical idea. You can apply that in a lot of situations which aren't necessarily this. Um, for example, just in a simple like extended sword to extended sword bind, you can push on their sword, and then as they push back, you can disengage and hit the arm, or disengage and thrust on the other side. And because you're doing the disengage while they're pushing back, there's nothing they can do. They can't chase after you. Right. I mean, it's it's related to, I it, I think we talked about, or at least the way I think of a lot of the Sukkim plays are related to this, right? That you create a pressure and then, then you're free to pull, but you're not free to pull if there's no pressure there. Yeah. You see the same basic idea in wrestling all over the time, like push someone and then as they push back, pull them is exactly the same principle. Um, it works particularly well because a lot of like pushing back as somebody pushes on you is something that humans practically do reflexively. So it's not even necessarily a conscious decision your opponent is making. And so because of that, you can kind of hack their like it goes past their decision cycle, right? You if I push on you, you're 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 gonna push back against me. If I push on your sword, you you'll almost reflexively push back on it um, before you've even necessarily really thought about what the hell I'm doing. Um, and that gives me a moment to do a further action in. Well, and this really sets us up for um, circling back around to Crumpow, right? Like you lift up, if they start to wind, then you're gonna counter wind and then you have the counter to, to crump, right? If they crump and fall across your altar or whatever, right? So yeah. for me, this is where this circles back around. And then if they don't, then you then you pull and you, you come around with this option item. Yeah. I think that these techniques, I'm glad that they're here because I think they also speak to what the author expected the opponent to do against you if you approach in a low guard, which is yeah. falling upon their sword. And we also get to, this is kind of the opposite side of what we see in um, some of like the Nachreisen, like Alsaramina plays, and also uh, Uberlaufen. So Uberlaufen, you know, they say if they bind, then remain strong with the long edge on their sword. Mm -hmm. Maybe in Alsarumin they say that also when they don't remain strong with the long edge on their sword. So that's kind of <laughs> seems to be what the uh, opponent's doing here with their um, overbinding of your sword. This reminds me a lot of the, the failure. Which again, the setup of seem to have been approaching, cutting up from your right side. But that this is almost being done as like a eyes open reaction to their pressure rather than a an eyes closed pre planned combo. The way I would implement most of these in practice is that if somebody falls on my sword while I'm trying to go upwards, I'd push on their sword and then immediately go into the action and pretty much trust in like if I feel any sort of resistance while I'm trying to push on their sword, I'm continuing to the next thing. Because they're if they're gonna if they're resisting me, they're gonna be shoving for that moment. Why is this called action item if it's not slicing? 
Because it's punny. Because you're slicing off their edge. Yeah, or is, or is it just that you're, you're leaving the edge? You're leaving punny. their edge, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we should call it edging off. Sounds a bit comic. Yeah, sweet. We can do that. We should come out with like the, the crude gloss. The crude zettle. Which would be 10,000 times more accurate, but just all about edging and jerking. We can publish it at the same time as the Holy Zettel, where it's all metaphors for religion um, in a facing page edition. <laughs> well, there's the, there, there's the wild theory that the Zettel and Gloss is actually, well, mostly the Zettel is actually dating advice and not about swords at all. <laughs> Whose wild theory is that? Um, you definitely said that ever. <laughs> I don't know who came if up with that. If the Zettel is first. full of hunting words, and hunting is a metaphor for romance, <laughs> then by logic, the Zettel is about romance. Yeah. It makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, the Latin for abschneiden, by the way, is abscisionis, which means cutting away, but also by the medieval period gains a layering of interruption. Hmm. Cool. Interference or something is quite a nice context, especially for the next place that we're going to talk about. Does really have a vibe of that. Yeah. I but, guess it would be a little bit like cutting in in a sort of modern thing where I interrupt someone by cutting in in, their, in the middle of their sentence. Hmm. So just a random question. Or like a cutaway in filmography directing. Is there a, is there any connection between the way you do schnappen and the way you crimp? Do you see those two techniques as as, as connected at all? It seems like especially Ringex play, but also that just the crimp to the flat has a schnappeny flavor to it. Certainly the way I would like cut in after a schnappen type action is basically the same as the way I throw a crimp. Um, it's a similar sort of mechanic, like the points come up. And also, if you think about the position you're passing through, like as you do a snap and you kind of fall to this position, which is basically shrink up. And then you snap down from there with the cut. So I'd say it's pretty similar. Mm. Jess disagrees. All the cuts are basically the same. <laughs> really? I don't think any cut is like this one. Oh. Where I start with yeah. my point backwards and Jess, what were you going to say? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, so so I often think about almost like a Fiori double arm wrap or like a sword wrap. Like when I go to schnapp and I'm not just like cutting, I'm not just popping free, but like driving all my arms and everything over because that's what Cal shows. And yeah. I had that as a, one of my really early sources. So that's, it's not just over and cut, but it's over and wrap around and cut. And so for me, it, it, my whole body twists a lot more than I do in a crump. So it doesn't feel like a crump, but I follow, I follow what you're saying. For, for me, normally, this action from a bind is a pulling in motion, like Jess is describing. And she, I'm sort of turning my body to be face the side where the opponent's sword is. Whereas if I was going to crimp a blade, then it would be hands, normally hands extending outwards. But well, I, so I, I, like I don't actually ever use the crimp. Do you think that not that mechanic would not work for a crimp? Like, does a crimp demand that it not be a schnappen? Well, I, I don't know when else I would crimp that close to my opponent. Mm. Crump style actions in like really close binds can be pretty effective. Um, but for me, like if I'm thinking about doing a crump, I'm going to like, the, you know, especially a crump from something like Shrunker is going to be from this kind of points down, point down hill high position. And if I'm doing coming from an underbind of snapping, like a, a bind on top of me and snapping, my hilt comes up, I end up in this position that's basically Shrunker, and then the sword comes round and down. So. I see the, the finish as being substantially similar. Maybe it's less extended versus more extended because of the relative distance, but the the movement pattern of the sword is pretty much the same, in my opinion. 
I'd just like our listeners to appreciate that T managed to do that without hitting any light fittings or the cable for his headset. That was the most impressive swordsmanship I've seen in a while. Demonstrating with a full-sized fetter in front of his computer. Um, and I, the reason I ask is there's two reasons, one of which is the whole falling on the sword mechanic only seems to come up a couple times, and one of them is in the Krumpau in Ringek, where he tells you to fall onto his sword into Shrunkut. And one of them yeah. is in the Shielhau, where you're someone who falls on your sword is doing a bad thing, and you should change through against them. So, the, so, but the 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 crimp connection has something I've thought about many times. I don't know if I believe it or not. But the other reason is that Hans Middle, remember that guy who we have lost ever mm-hmm. since the Tukin? According to Christian Trasclair's theory of Hans Middle, at least, he was so he gives secret names for four of the five strikes, and he doesn't give one for the Krumpau. So the Zornhau is the Oberhau, the Dreyerhau is the Middlehau, the Shielhau is the Wechselhau, and the Scheidelhau is the Sturzhau. And Christian believes that the Krumpau is meant to be the Unterhau as the other of the basic strikes um, in sources like Lignitzer. Um, but Hans Mayl doesn't say that, so it's interpretation. But if the if, but a connection between Schnappen and the Krumpau would almost make that make sense to me. And I just don't know if I see it or not. So, But that could be what Hans Madel was thinking of, except he doesn't give us enough evidence to say. And that could be the that. last we hear from Hans Madel. So with regard to, um, to these plays being in this section, um, the, the, the Henning, MHD dictionary has for Abschneiden also to be to mean Vegnamen, so like to take away or to remove. So there's definitely um, both, like we say, slicing away or slicing off, but also taking away. So so it's kind of a synonym for Abnamen ish. Yeah. Or close to meaning. Ish, yeah. Absconding. Yeah, I have also, you mentioned Abnehmen at the beginning of this, and I've also thought of the, you know, the first play of this as a lower Abnehmen. And if you, I'm not going to read them out, but I posted them in the chat. If you compare the text of the Abnehmen with the text of this play, it's basically the same thing with, like, some key phrases, like, switched. Like, instead of saying upwards above, it says backwards and you know stuff like that you're still drawing well, off and playing in. yeah and to add to what you're saying i think even more importantly when you're cutting back you're not just cutting back arbitrarily you're cutting back along their blade which doesn't come up that frequently right so yeah keeping contact i guess until you you know, you keep you keep upwards pressure on their blade until you leave it because that keeps them pushing down if you're being slow. But after you come off, when you're cutting back, you cut back along their blade. So so it isn't Mm. that you take off and make a big circle, it's that you take off and come right back up that same Unterhau line, probably. Ish. So like a sort of bang. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah. And it also says, for the, for the ending strike, it says strike to the face, not to the head. Yep. So, but, you know, face. Yeah, I think this is part of the, the root of our slight discussion earlier, which is that when I was talking about Krimpal parallels, I was talking more about the, the snap and type action where you end up with more of this, the hilt is explicitly coming up and that naturally brings the point down and leaves you in these shrunk style positions, which set up this kind of circular crumpy kind of cut. Um, uh, this one, I think it is a better fit to cutting straight back up with an underhow to the mouth. This might be a super wild theory. This might be the wrong audience. Does this remind anyone else of 133? Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, pretty but much. The, the overbind. I wondered if the early Forgang 133 translation might be how that got into Hema's slang so much more than it is present in this text. Probably. 
Cool. Shall we have a crack at the hand pressing section then? Well, we've got the four slices first. Yeah, we got to do those. Which we agreed we're not going to do with hand pressing. Over my protests. Oh. Look, I think guys, they go in I here because Ringek puts them in here. Yeah, but who the uh, hell was singing Ringek? It's all right. Dancing and Lev put them under this as well. Line 94, that's what I mean. Come on. All right. Usually when somebody sees, sees something and um, sees a move and says, wow, that was a really good hand pressing, it's actually one of the four slices that they're talking about. In my observation, anyway. We'll get to that. Yeah, I yeah that's definitely like... our next episode topic. Four of the slices, two above, two below. Keep going, T. You started. Okay. Uh, remember this four slices, the first of the two overs, which pertain to driving against fencers who like to cut around with the tear or otherwise to the other side from the from a parry or from the bind of the swords. And uh, da, 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 what's the order of this? Um, yeah, uh, remember uh, you're following the dancing order in this gloss. Um, remember you do it like this. When they bind on your sword with a parry or otherwise against your left side, and they strike around from the sword with a twer or otherwise with their left foot on your right side, then leap from the strike with your left foot to their right side and fall with your long edge over both arms and press them from you with the slice. Always drive this to both sides when they strike around from the displacement or hew or otherwise cut from the sword. Um, and then remember that the two underslices are for driving against the fencers who like to run in with arms stretched upwards and drive them like this when they bind you on the sword with displacement or anything, with parrying or anything, I guess. If they then drive up high with the arms and run in on you against your left side, then twist your sword so your thumb comes underneath and drive under their hilt into the arms with the long edge with crossed hands under their hilt and pommel and press uppers with a slice. Or if they run in towards your right side without stretched arms, then twist your sword so that your thumb comes underneath and fall driving with your short edge um, under their hilt and pommel and press upwards as before. These are the four slices. So you have two slices over, which you do against to cut around, and two slices under, which you do against running in. Um, Note that Ringek has them reversed and he does the under slices first. And I think he has an extra play, doesn't he? He does. Let's talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. Because you've so, reordered yeah. your gloss yet again. <laughs> So, so this is what I would call oh, no, no, no. Apparently, I'm wrong, and I've always been wrong in how I've taught Hema. Good to know. Oh, all of us have been. So, if you haven't um, made mistakes, you haven't been teaching. Yeah. So, so the underslice is when they come with their hands high, and you drive a how with a strong into it. Why isn't it described like that? That's just weird. This is a really interesting action because you basically don't see it in motor fencing. I have a pet theory that this is linked to people's love for decision trees. The setup that this action is basically shown from, especially in the five cuts, only comes from the Scheitel versus Alber. Um, that's the only place that the underslice is discussed. Um, and when people talk, when you teach fencing with a lot of decision trees, you can end up with a problem where somebody only think where like the, the context of how somebody got to a position becomes relevant for how they interpret what they can do from that position right so if i've only practiced an underslice when i started by you know like you can do an underslice from any high bind where people are moving closer together and high binds where people are moving closer together happens pretty much all the time in a tournament if you watch any tournament footage you'll see them all over the place um but they don't normally start you, people don't normally enter that bind from a Scheitel versus Alber type situation. Like they normally enter from both cutting in with a big passing step and collapsing distance. And because of that, I think that people don't think of the slice as a solution because they're only thinking of the slice if they'd started with the Scheitel. Like that's the, the thing that puts them in the frame of mind to go, hey, I could do a slice here. And if they instead just look at the position, they can go, hang on a minute, this is the position and the, the, the setup for a slice. And I could apply this even if I started with a cut from above or with a fair or with any kind of random nonsense, although it's kind of difficult to do from a fair. And it turns into wrestling. But certainly you see this situation get moved through all the time. Right. And I, th and I, th I think it is because people don't practice the slicing because they don't see where it fits in. I see people push other people's hands up but not with the edge of the blade it's yeah. with, i use this action like, all the time 
like I do I do things that the slices are supposed to accomplish constantly, but it's always with like my fists, not the not the edge of my blade. How very Fiore of you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, if someone's, if someone's doing it Serhow, and you you know push their hands with your fists a little bit, they won't hit you. It does. It's the same effect as like a parry. It's true. I do the Ando slice fairly regularly, and I've definitely had it scored in tournaments for me. Um, but partly for me, this is because I'm quite short, and it's easier to get under somebody's arms when you're shorter. And also, you really want to stop somebody wrestling you without counter-wrestling when you're smaller and lighter than them. I taught a workshop about this in Sweden a couple of years ago, which I called Oshnit, uh, because why would you not call a workshop that when you can? Um, and the big cue I tried to emphasize for people to actually implement this from a technical perspective was to make sure you get your arms as straight as you can. If you're like, if you have your arms kind of extended and then you sort of fold them into a little position like this and try to slice, and somebody's running in at you, what happens is you're going to get crushed. Um, uh, because you've got these bent arms and you're trying to resist all of somebody's incoming momentum with bent arms that are acting as hinges. But if you can make your arms fairly straight, then you have a skeletal structure that you can bounce somebody who weighs twice as much as you off. Um, and the force just goes through your arms, through your torso, and back down into the ground via your back leg. And so that's like the... From a technical perspective, that's the thing I try to get people to do. And even making a practically making a kind of reverse lunge where you extend your back leg back to sink your body down and let you extend out more um, can be a really helpful physical action to kind of support this with. So then you, you get you, more space to straighten in. Go on. You use this as a counter to somebody who wants to wrestle you, basically. Yes. That's my substantial like application for this. If they're running in on me with their hands up. If they're trying to run in from further away, the way I often set this up is by first sort of feinting a shooting the point over their hilt. So like we have our blades together and they're trying to rush forward. Say I've just done a cut at long range and they think they have an opening. Um, if I push the point in high up first, they probably try to clear it upwards to give them the opening to run in. And that's the moment I could come underneath and take their arms instead. By getting them to move upwards, I have the opening to come underneath. So I do it a little bit different because we know we deal with this in the spare house section where we have counters against this slice, right? Or against the over slice. Um, and so uh, I don't really ever consider it to be a fight ender since we're told you can hit people while they're slicing you. And we also know from modern self-defense, like you can take a lot of really nasty slices to your forearm bones and keep on trucking, right? So for me, this is like I rather than, um, as you were saying, uh, taking a strong reverse lunge, like trying to take their energy all against you and hard stop it. I think about this being a complete redirection and that the pressing isn't in opposition to their motion, but their pressing is tangential to their motion to try to swing it away from me. But I mean, you could do it both ways, but I just wanted to present that idea. I am often surprised that more people don't teach it that way. I find that really useful when it comes out, the pushing to the side. Yeah, I find both versions work. Um, for me, and it depends a lot on who I'm fencing and how fast they move. Um, I think the the most notable time I've had to score in a tournament was fighting a really, really big guy. Um, big Tom, you know him, Mike. Yeah, um, he's big. <laughs> uh, where I, I landed a straight slice that he bounced off and then essentially marched him out of the ring on the edge of my sword. Um, by just, once I had resisted, once I had stopped him the once, and he rebounded off, I could march him on that pressure, mm. um, which is a kind of another way to approach what do I do next from here? Um, and if he tried to run away, I would have then had a free blade to take a blade action, but you know, he didn't, so I scored a ring out, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that the, which one would it be, the overslice when their hands are low? That the overslice is, sorry, go on. Is that the overslice or the underslice? That's hands the overslice. Low, 
your blades above you. That also leads directly into wrestling because you end up in like a, a dog fight side to side type position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other is when we're going on, the idea of redirecting is really, really helpful. Um, and in fact, you explicitly have the instruction to step away from their cut, um, which might again be a matter of giving yourself space to get a structure in place. So, do you see it in tournaments? No, I think people go for Fiore wrestle plays I, when they're in that side position. I, I want to mention one more thing about, especially the underslice with regards to like live fencing. I think in order to pull it off, you have to kind of have it in mind beforehand that you're going to do it because distance collapse. So like if you think of the different, you think of like, you know, you have your initial attack distance and then you have your like spherocopter distance. And then the difference between spherocopter distance and two bodies touching each other is very short. That That's, like the time it takes for that distance to collapse is very small. And once you're at body colliding distance, it is now too late to slice. You need, you need to have some space between, you have to catch them coming in in order to get, get it. So if you're not ready to actually do that slice before the distance collapses to body-body contact, then you're not going to get it, and now you're forced to wrestle. Yeah, so this is very another, important. Just another excuse for people. <laughs> when I taught the workshop in Sweden, um, the cue I give people for an overslice is that instead of trying to chase, the, like, if you try to, if you're in a bind with somebody and they start to cut around and you feel them leaving the bind and then you decide, oh, now it's the time to overslice, I'm going to push after and get to them. By the time you get there, you're probably too late. The way I taught people to do it was to kind of proactively push through their sword towards their forearms and trust that as they cut around, that will take you onto their forearms. And that gets you there a lot earlier before they've developed the cut and hit. Because if you're waiting for feeling their pressure to finish, making the decision to use this technique, and then beginning the technique, the cut around is not... It's a big movement, but it's a very fast movement. And it probably will have hit already, or be completely developed and very hard to stop. Um, but if you push through from yeah. the very beginning... Um, kind of proactively creating the situation. So from a bind, instead of just waiting for them to cut around and then trying to slice, pushing into the bind and letting their movement take you onto their forearms will give you a better chance of getting there right at the beginning of their cut before they can finish it and hit you in the head. But it's a very different... You have to approach it with a kind of, I will now try and push through and cut you on the arms and you're going to cut around and give me your arms by doing so kind of way, if that makes sense. Regarding the usage of the overslice, (laughs) regarding the usage of the overslice, um, I think the, when we get to Spreckfenster, well, this comes back up, but a lot of the options regarding, like a lot of the options have as soon as they leave the bind however they choose to leave it um can be accomplished by extending your arms out and stepping forward and the overslice is one of those so if as soon as you feel them leave the bind you extend your arms out and step forward then you'll probably get something if they step back then you're ready to stab them if they do something other than it's fair how then you're ready to bind on their sword and attack the head so yeah, um, but slightly even better than doing it when you feel them leave is extending the blade and stepping forward as like while they're still in the bind. Remain strong with the long edge on their sword. Exactly, and just like try and push directly towards the opening. And if they start to leave, you're going to get the slice. And if they don't, you're going to get something else. We'll talk about this more when we get to Shrekfenster, I'm sure, because I will. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, we will. Any other points, or shall we wrap up? We should do the extra play from Ringek. Yes. Which is a weird little extra underslice uh, that I skimmed over when I read out this technique. 
that actually I'd be interested in thoughts on because I've never really been happy in, in my interpretation of this. Um, but um, another another slice when you bind strongly on his sword, if he then allows his sword to snap away from yours and strikes above at the head, so turn your sword with the hilt in front of your head and slice through their arm, like cut their arm below, and with the cut with the slice, set the point below onto their chest. What's the word it's using for twist there? Vervenda. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a... I've kind of... I have a picture of this in the illustrated ring egg, obviously, because it was a play in ring egg. But the thing which I've always found a bit weird of this is how you're supposed to both stop them coming down with a cut, which probably means you want to be using something like the strong of your sword on their arms, and get the point set onto their chest, which, especially if you have a longer sword, means you end up needing to have like the middle of your sword on their arms. And those things are kind of intention. If you focus on opposing them, you can turn your sword underneath and kind of hide under it and get the the edge of your shield and your strong against their forearms, and that'll stop them coming down. But then it's quite difficult to get the point onto the chest from there. Or if you focus on drawing back and getting the chest the point in place, you'll do that, but then it's quite difficult to resist them pushing downwards. So unless your point is in their chest. I guess that's the third option, yeah. <laughs> Right. So this is this is related to the stuff where you shove your sword against their neck, right? To prevent them coming down. Like in Sphere. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, or fair. at least Danzig Sphere. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair a fair third option. Um if your point is physically in their in their chest in some way, then you have a lot more structure. Well the problem with that is so if they're doing a schnappen then by definition your point is not online so i think t's point is how do you bring your point online while also slicing like if, obviously if your point's already in their chest then it's easy i guess the third option is that you can think about first doing a like a blocking action with the strong of your sword and then drawing the blade back and planting the point in kind of two stages Wait, yeah cuz if you've fallen on them like crumpy with crossed hands and they're schnappening over, like your immediate encounter is going to be with your strong, right? And then you're going to go wham and nail that point. For the and listener, that, that Jess, slice, has right? stick, Jess has a stick now and T has a sword and they're both trying to demonstrate the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, isn't isn't yeah. that so, or am I am I not picking it right? Yeah, I think that could work. If I was still teaching a regular ring at class, I'd probably do a kind of a two stage version of this, where the first stage is a potentially a point relatively offline, like a sort of oxy kind of in, interposition of your your strong against their arms, and then once you have stopped their descending cut on that structure, then a drawing back drawing the edge along the target and bringing the point into presence. Yeah, it, it, does, like it. it does sound like it's suggesting that the, the setting upon is going to be distinctly after the slice. So I guess if you can stop their motion with the slice, then you can try and bring your point online afterward. Can like you try that right now? Once you've bounced them, sort of, <laughs> once, once they've hit that structure, it becomes easier to do a thing because they don't have momentum at least. It's just muscle versus muscle at the worst. So, if you're not, I'm just going to fall on your sword so you're going to cut. And I'm going to take this down. Then you're going to snap and so you're going to come there. So go back. So you do that. If I try to follow you up, then the arms are easy to get. And then I guess I could bring the point online at the end. Yeah, something kind of like that. Or yeah, but, and then you get after blowed. And then go over the arms. Yeah. Huh. That that would be faster, actually. Yeah, so, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that you have to go under the arms with the point. So, actually, pushing this this arms and then putting your well, point. It says with the point set. It says set below. Oh, it does uh, say below. Sorry, I missed that. 
Sex aim mit dem Schnitt den Ort und den Ansehen Brust. Could that mean just thrusting downwards from arms high? Below I mean, sure, whatever. Like, because what I did that before was with my voice going through her arms down onto her chest. That would certainly be an... I think that would work, but I don't quite see how you're going to get there from cutting... Like, you need to slice the arm as well on the way up. And right. I don't so quite see how you're getting there. If she goes to snap, I'm just going to follow her, her arms, get the slice here, push, and then as I push her arms aside, open up the chest. Yeah, okay. I uh, don't know if that would work if she's actually resisting more, but we don't have fencing here out, so we can't do this fast. I'm only the good people at the time, so... <laughs> For our listeners, I think this is the first time we've had a live reinterpretation of a technique on fencing by the book. Um, <laughs> actually. All right. So I'm going to move on because we're now the podcast where people listen to people play with swords but can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I should just put up some sparring footage now, shouldn't I? Really, it's the best medium <laughs> for doing interpretation. <laughs> yep. Um, does anybody have any other points? Nope. Nope. Uh, Me neither. So I, I guess my main Wait, question... I have one. Yep. One more thing to, to finish this off, maybe, is Joachim Meyer has a radically different thing that he also calls Abschneiden, which nice. is where you're actually slicing against the bind. So you're drawing your edge across their sword as a way of trying to expel them from the bind. Okay. Uh, which is a weird, interesting, fun action to do because you're not giving them consistent pressure. So you start more towards the weak of your sword, or more towards the strong of your sword, and then draw and push. So it sort of is a confusing bind if you're trying to do your fulin. Um But I, have, I, I don't know if that is anything that was... I mean, so it sort of makes sense with the verse, cut away the hard ones. But I don't know if it was actually taught prior to Meyer and Lichtenauer. But it is an interesting thing you can do when someone binds against you. That sort of fits with the first of the, the left plays, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If he falls on your sword, so um, remain under with the sword and lift with the short edge fast upwards. If he pushes down, so swipe under with the sword on his blade downwards and away from his sword, and then you and... I oh, know. Maybe I'm just getting myself confused. That's like a little disengage yeah. and then hang on. That could be a connected sort of mechanic. Yeah, that's cool. My my main question for next week is what exactly is a hand drucken then hand pressing? If it's not these days that I thought it was. I think that will be the vast majority of next week's episode. So everyone be Ooh. looking out for that. What, cliff, what cliffhanger? All right, thank you very much for listening, everybody. This has been Fencing by the Book. Uh, I've been your host, Mike Smorridge, and our panel have been Jess Finley, Johanna Hopfgardner, Kendra Brown, Michael Chister, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>